Hi, everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. You are tuning in to our series on Revelation. And boy, today is a really important one. We are starting chapter six, and we are going through the seven seals. Now, I want to make mention that beginning here in chapter six, pretty much through chapter 16, this is considered by many to be the heart of the book and probably the most difficult to understand and apply. So we've had this beautiful pause in the throne room of God and good thing we did because now we need that perspective of the throne before we move forward into this additional chapters because we are now entering into a period of catastrophic trouble. And interpreters, they have difficulty with the events in these chapters. They can't agree on them. They can't agree on the order of events. They can't agree on what all the symbols mean. They can't even agree on the timing of the fulfillments of these predictions. Do they take place in our past, our present, our future? And so those are questions not only do they wrestle with, but that we wrestle with too, because so many of us are listening to them, right? We mentioned a little bit of this in, I believe, episode two. And so in these chapters, six through 16, we encounter several things that seem to confuse people. And I I admit, and I can relate, reading Revelation, it is not easy. But we're told to read it nonetheless, right? Because when we do, we are blessed. We take what we can understand and leave the rest to the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. And that's just how I approach it from here on out. So what's going to happen is you're going to notice several things that we're going to come across in these texts, mainly in these chapters. Some of the texts, they're going to leave us without an explanation until later in the story. So that can be perplexing. Or we'll encounter narrative that seems to go back, recalling events already mentioned. That can throw people off. Or we'll encounter texts that seem to skip around a bit, like little interludes. And that's going to actually happen. You'll see that today. Because, for example, when we talk about the seals, we get to the sixth seal at the end of chapter six, when all of a sudden... It jumps to the ceiling of 144,000 Jewish people. It completely changes topic. And we don't go back to the seventh seal until the beginning of chapter eight. And that throws people off. The text seems to dart away to something else. And what you're going to notice is that it does this with all of the series of catastrophic events that we're going to read about. At some point during those events, it darts away to another topic for a moment. And it's interesting, the topic that it typically takes us to tunes us into what is either going on with Christians at the time or what is going on with the Jewish people at the time. And yes, you heard me right. There are Christians on the earth during these troubles, during these troubles. And some people, that's news to them. And so this can really throw people off. So I'll try to highlight those things when we come across them, but I just wanted to make mention of it so that as you're following along, it doesn't throw you off either. Now we're going to read chapter six in just a moment, but I just want to let you know that it opens with the lamb, Jesus, when he's opening the seals, beginning that countdown we discussed, the countdown of human history. And that countdown starts with a series of troubles. And these troubles are referred to in Revelation as seals, and then they're called trumpets, and then they're called bowls. And one of the most striking features about these troubles are their sequences. 
The troubles begin with seven seals. Then it moves to the seven trumpets and then it moves to the seven bowls. And when you look at each grouping, it appears that they are divided into three distinctive parts within those groupings. The first four troubles in each series seem to belong together, while the next two troubles in those series, not so much. And then the last one, it seems to stand on its own. So let me give you an example. In the seals, you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which we'll get to. They're related. Then you have two troubles not related to the horsemen. And then it culminates with an earthquake. In trumpets, you have four events related to each other, related to the earth. Then you have two more troubles that are different. And then it ends with an earthquake. And in the bowls, you have four related intense events. Then you have two other events. Then you have a hailstorm and it ends with an earthquake. There's a pattern. God uses patterns all throughout the Bible. So it doesn't surprise me that he continues to use patterns all throughout Revelation. And in looking at these three series together, there appears to be an intensification of the events in each series. After the seals, things intensify with the trumpets. And then after the trumpets, things intensify with the bowls. So for example, while a quarter of mankind perish in the seals, a third of the remainder, those who survived the seals, a third of the remainder fail to survive the trumpets. It intensifies. Furthermore, there's not just an intensification of the events, but a progression in what causes the disasters. For example, the seals you'll see are of human origin, where the trumpets seem to be a more natural deterioration of the environment, while the bowls are poured out by angelic beings. These are just obvious observations when you read the text. I'm not saying anything super spiritual here. But another observation is that the seals seem to be spread out through time, but the trumpets and bowls appear to be measured more in months or even days. They happen quickly, but they're all still successive. The series seem to follow each other. 21 events in all. And notice the number seven in each series, seven judgments in each one. Seven, which means perfection and completeness. This present age will end in perfect completeness God's way. And we can trust Jesus with how it's going to be carried out. Even if you don't like how it's going to be carried out, just keep your mind fixed on the throne. Now, the last thing I want to point out in these series is that seventh event in each one. It's an earthquake. And careful study has shown, and this can be maybe the one thing a lot of people agree on, is that it seems to refer to the same event, a severe earthquake on a global scale, almost as if God has reached down and put his hands around the globe, the earth, and is shaking it all at once. Now, different people have different opinion on things, as we've mentioned in episode two, and I just want to make mention of that. Those who are historicists, they believe all of these events cover the same period of time that is between Jesus's first and second coming. They believe that the different events happened at different times in church history. While futurists, they hold to the belief that these events are still for the future. They believe that each series advances on the previous one, 
but that they all climax in the same catastrophic event. So, for example, the first seals will be released, then there will be a delay in the seventh until it lines up with the trumpets and bowls being poured out. So these are all just interesting things to consider. Well, to help us better understand all of this and to understand the sequence of events regarding the end of the age, I want to encourage you in something. I want to encourage you to read Revelation 6 through 16 along with three chapters out of the Gospels. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, because they address the end of the age. They are known as the discourse that Jesus gave about the end of the age. There are other scriptures we will eventually get to, but for today, we're just starting here. You know, I want to mention that we tend to overlook, as Christians, we tend to overlook the fact that Jesus was a prophet. Other religions in the world will acknowledge him as a prophet, but for some reason, we don't really do that much in our Christian circles. But the people of his time acknowledged him as a prophet, even if they didn't acknowledge him as the son of God. He was the greatest of all Hebrew prophets. So it's no wonder that, of course, he would prophesy about the end of the age in his discourses. His prophet, his greatest prophetic discourse is found in these three chapters. And in spite of chapter divisions, which were added many centuries later, as I always encourage people, try to read your Bible without looking at the chapter breaks. Um, there is no division in this discourse. So I encourage you to read these discourses that way as well. But what they are, are three different perspectives on the same discourse. Almost like when you turn on your television set and you can go to three different television stations that are supposed to be reporting the news, they're supposed to be covering the same event, you will get different perspectives from each one. Well, to get the full picture of this discourse, you need to put them all together along with Revelation. Now today, for the sake of time, I I don't have time to go through all three of them, so I'm going to focus mainly on Matthew 24, but I encourage you to put them all together and then read them all together with Revelation. So let me just mention, I have to come over here to Matthew 24 for a minute before we go into the seals, because it all ties in. Matthew 24 records that Jesus gives his message while they're on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, and he's with his closest disciples. And if you've been to Israel, when you're sitting there, you have an incredible view right in front of you of Jerusalem, of the city of Jerusalem and of the temple area. Now keep in mind, King Herod spent 46 years renovating, extending, and glorifying this temple. It was considered to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. And it was also the focus of the entire national and religious life of the Jewish people. It was their pride and joy. That's why Jesus's response to to them when his disciples were showing him the temple when they're sitting on that slope before he starts this discourse, they're bragging and talking about the temple. That's why his response to them in Matthew 24, 1 would have been like a blow to them because he says, assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. This is when they approached him privately with two questions. One, when will this be? And two, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Well, for the first one, when will this be? 
Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman commander Vespasian. He laid siege to Jerusalem and surrounded it with his armies. He eventually lifted his siege just temporarily, and the armies withdrew, but it was only for a short time. But when that happened, believing Jews who saw what was coming fled from Jerusalem to a town called Pella on the east side of the Jordan. And then Vespasian's successor was Titus. And he reformed the siege and continued to attack Jerusalem until Jesus's words were fulfilled. You know, in the course of that war, two million Jews were killed and one million were sold into captivity as slaves throughout the Roman Empire. I'm not sure if you know that. In fact, at one point, there were so many slaves in the markets that even at low prices, no one was buying them. And you wonder why the New Testament epistles make so many references to slaves. So this part of Jesus's words concerning the first question were fulfilled, but not the second question. And notice the disciples asked about a sign, not signs, plural. And Jesus doesn't answer the question immediately. He leads them into the answer. And that leading is like following breadcrumbs. Many different events will take place. But first he exhorts them not to be deceived. Many will come in his name. Do not believe them. We see this with religions today. Many religions use the name of Jesus, draw people in by using his name, but they are nothing of the sort in alignment with him. So Jesus leads them into more clues. And we're going to see in these clues similarities with the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. Events. But one sign in particular will be the sign that the end is near. That the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. This means that the real initiative in the world is not the politicians. It's not military. It's not medicine. It's not the environmentalists. The real initiative for the end of the age lies with the church. The church is the only group of people who can bring about the closing sign of the end of the age. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth, to all the world. Chapter 6 closes with a multitude of people. Chapter 5, excuse me, closes with a multitude of people, all of whom have received salvation through faith in Jesus from all nations, peoples, and tongues, right? We just read about that. In other words, before this age can close, there has to be at least one representative in the body of every nation, people, tribe, and language on earth. And I believe the reason that God the Father is jealous for his son's glory is because Jesus was willing to suffer for all humankind. Therefore, God will not allow this age to close until they have all heard the gospel. His payment was for all. And he's going to make sure everyone possible takes him up on this payment. 2 Peter 3 speaks of how the first time the earth was destroyed, it was through a flood, right? But the second time to close this age, it will be through fire, he says. Therefore, he says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for 
and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So we're going to experience catastrophic events, friends. And those events, they'll be prolonged until the church fulfills its mission. We have an opportunity to, as Peter says, hasten the return of the Lord. How? By taking the gospel everywhere to everyone in every place. And until we do that, these events will be prolonged. So we are now into the bad news. (laughs) The lamb is opening the seals. Things will get much worse before they get better. The letters and chapters about the throne of God are going to serve as our reminder before this trouble comes that as Christians, we are waiting for Jesus Christ to return. That's what everything is all about. We want our bridegroom to come for us. We are waiting for Christ's return. That's what our whole pilgrimage is about. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus is returning and setting up a righteous government one day and we get to take part. This means, friends, we're not waiting for the Antichrist. There are many fellow believers who are so busy with theories about the Antichrist, his number, his name, the countries he will rule, the methods he will use, how he will put his stamp on people's foreheads and hands, that they're almost advertising advertising agents for him. Some of you out there know more about his arrival than our Lord's, than Jesus's. I just want to remind us, our business as Christians is not to be witnesses for the Antichrist, but to be witnesses to Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. As Christians, we're waiting for the Son of God to return from heaven. And scripture makes clear that he's coming back, that he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to who? To those who are waiting for him, Hebrews 9, 27, 28. So it's of greatest personal importance for us to be waiting for Jesus, not waiting for the Antichrist to show up. Now, chapter six opens up with the lamb opening the seals. So let's read this. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Wow. You know, the tribulation begins the moment the seals are opened by the only one worthy of it. And it is a time of great distress that is going to come upon the whole world. Right now, we're seeing it in pockets, in different places. But it's going to get to a point where it's going to happen everywhere. And no one will be able to get out of this, get out of what's coming. Remember, this is going to be something Jesus said that has never happened before. So the lamb opens the seals. And first there are four horses or four horsemen, oftentimes referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As soon as the first four seals are broken, these four horses are released and they ride through the earth. Four is a number representative of the earth. That's why the four living creatures, they are representative of different creation found on the earth. And the most important thing noted about the horsemen are their colors. They have riders, but there is no mention of the rider's name, who he is, only the focus on the color except for one writer. We know his name, and it's not the one you think. So the first horse is a white horse, and white horses have always been used by military conquerors. This is when you would have either the king or a military commander going out to lead a charge to go and conquer. In fact, when you look at old artwork today about ancient battles or conquests, what do you notice? The king or the commander is typically shown on a white horse. Therefore, this horseman represents a type of military aggression, war. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. He had the authority to go and do this and he went out conquering. So when the first seal is broken, Military aggression is released on the earth, which inevitably leads to the red ores. We see military aggression increasing all over the world today. And this follows along with Jesus' discourse in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. 
for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He opens up in his discourse with war. This horse is not the white horseman that is Jesus at the end of Revelation. And there are many of you out there who also say this white horseman is the Antichrist. There is no indication of that either. Jesus does not reveal the name of this horse, merely the color. So I'll leave that decision up to you on who you think it is. The red horse, again, no mention of who the rider is, no name to the rider, is the color of blood. Because anyone going to war, they know blood is shed. Lives will be lost on a horrific scale. Just looking at World War II alone, a war that involved the globe, it was the largest and deadliest conflict in the history of mankind. Between the start of the war in September 1939 to its end in August-September 1945, it's believed that almost 4% of the world's population at that time died in the war. And it's too difficult to get an exact number, but it's believed with all countries combined that it's in the hundreds of millions. Can we even grasp such a number of death, of bloodshed? And then the red horse will be followed by a black horse. Again, no mention of a name. But this is the horse of famine. Because after war and after widespread death, there's famine. There's no one to work your fields, the farms, to buy, to sell. And we're told in detail what it will cost to buy food when that black horse is riding the earth. And he's told us to prepare us. It's the color of famine, of people who are hungry and have no food. And finally, the gray-green horse is released. And he's the only one given a name. Death and Hades followed with him. This is the color of death. But it is also his name, death as a result of war, of bloodshed, of famine. Once the other three colors have moved through the earth, disease sets in, deadly epidemics set in. The Black Death of Europe took 200 million people. The Great Plague of London took around 100,000. Cholera in India in the 1800s took 25 million The third pandemic, a name given to the bubonic plague in China in the Yunnan province in 1885, killed 12 million. When this horse rides across the earth, a quarter of the population of the earth will die. His name is Death, and Hades follows behind him, which is the grave. Jesus says in the beginning of Matthew 24, after the mention of war, And there will be famines, mentioned here. There will be pestilences, mentioned here. And then earthquakes, which we're coming to in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus mentions these things in his discourses in the Gospels in the exact order in which they're delivered also in Revelation. Take note of that. So all of these horses... They've been riding in local areas up until this point, as we've mentioned. We can read off statistics and data and highlight certain areas where evidence of all four colors have been at work, right? But when the seals are broken, they will ride through the whole earth. Now there's a complete change. Seal five is persecution of God's people 
and their anguished cry to God. How much longer? How long will this go on? This is a seal pertaining to martyrdom. There have been martyrs since the beginning of Jesus' time, martyrs in every century in various countries. But when this seal opens again, it will be across the earth. And it will coincide to Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, martyred, was completed. So there are still believers on the earth during the seals. No one is raptured away yet. Jesus gives a sense of progression regarding the last days, enhanced by the use of his word then in his discourses, which indicates a succession of events following one after the other, like we're going to see in Revelation. So he said the beginning of sorrows was the war, the famines, and the pestilences. And then he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Then, indicating once we experience those events, then there's a good chance we have now entered on what's called birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Who is the you mentioned here? Actually, did you know that this word is not grammatically correct? You is actually us. It's plural. So whatever is taking place here at this point, people will deliver us up. Believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, Jesus, to tribulation and kill us. Believers, according to Jesus's words here, aren't taken away before all this. This is coming from Jesus's own mouth. And a simple person like me, I'm just reading this in order. You'll be delivered up. But in his discourse from Luke's perspective, it's for a good purpose. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience... Possess your souls. As we've said from the very beginning, friends, Revelation is a manual for martyrdom. The letters to the churches help prepare our souls. He then says, you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. You know, many people pray for revival, and that includes me. But when the church experiences revival... It will discover for the first time how much the world really hates it. We need to bear that in mind. We'll cover the rapture soon, but according to these passages, and as you'll see when we progress through Revelation, I started to scratch my head at one point because believers are quite noticeably here 
for quite a bit of trouble. And I had been taught so many things contrary to that. But we'll get to that in a different episode. So in this seal, the people of God are waiting for his vengeance because vengeance belongs to him. And we must wait on him too when these things occur. Because Jesus says, after all this, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many refers to Christians. When scripture speaks of turning away from the faith, it means the Christian faith. The falling away takes place before the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Under the pressure of persecution, some Christians will renounce their faith and betray their fellow Christians. Hatred will develop between Christians who remain loyal to Jesus and those who betray him. You don't think this will happen? Just look at what took place to Christians in Nazi Germany and how this very thing was a foreshadowing of what will happen again at the end of the age. The sixth seal refers more to unbelievers and an earthquake. And this is an earthquake that is going to shake the whole earth. This seal causes cosmic disturbances also. The sun will be black, the moon like blood, and the stars of heaven will fall to the earth like a fig shaken by a mighty wind. And this directly correlates to Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This will be a shaking like no other. And this is believed to be the same earthquake that will happen in the trumpets and the bowls. And so even though it's mentioned here in the seals, it will take place with them. The stars here can mean physical stars, but it also means angelic powers, powers of the heavens who are dethroned and shaken out of heaven, then cast to earth. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. We see this in Revelation 8 when we get to it when an angel is dislodged from heaven named Wormwood, contaminating most of the water. And then in Revelation 9, when another satanic power is dislodged with the key to the bottomless pit, unleashing locusts, uh, demons, whose job it is to harm and torture those who do not have God's seal on them. Even by Revelation 9, though, my friends, Christians are still mentioned here during intense trouble. You know, the frightening thing about earthquakes is that during the shaking, there is nothing secure to hold on to. Everything's shaking. So it's a complete threat to our security. And so fierce will this be that every mountain and island will be moved from its place. I can't even fathom that. An earthquake so fierce that from the greatest of men to the smallest, they hide themselves and actually prefer the mountains and rocks to bury them rather than look upon the face of him who sits on the throne and from his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. For his wrath, the wrath of Jesus, has now come at this point, and no one is able 
to stand. We haven't gotten there yet, but there is comfort for the people of God in all of this. We're going to cover that in a different episode, but I just want to mention that. Now, what I also mentioned too is that the seventh seal is found in Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, marking something very significant because there is silence in heaven for half an hour, like a pregnant pause. We don't know the, the time that lapses from the sixth seal through chapter 7 and beginning chapter 8, but the seventh seal opens with this pause. And seven angels are standing before God, and each one is given a trumpet, seven trumpets. Trumpets were used for many things in the Bible. They can be called shofars. I own a shofar. They have a very distinct sound. And they were used to gather the Lord's people together. They were used to call to assemble the Lord's army. They were used to announce a new king. They were used to proclaim the year of Jubilee. They were used in the Feast of the Lord. Those are just to name just a few. Well, in this case, it seems to indicate a declaration of war as they prepared themselves to sound. And a golden censer was filled with fire from the altar mixed with incense and the prayers of the saints. And the smoke of that incense ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel throws it to earth. And there were noises and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. The final seal closes with an earthquake. And what we're going to point out as we move forward to, if you can look at the book of Revelation from 6 on, it is a perfect picture of the tabernacle of God. We'll cover that at a different time. But that's why you see the censer and the altars. Lots of mention to all that. You know, I know learning about such things can be distressing. And I don't want you to be distressed. I want to encourage you that after we close, take a pause yourself after this episode and sit with Jesus in all this. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and for understanding. Ask him for his wise counsel. Ask him for his knowledge. Ask him to strengthen your inner man like never before for whatever it is that's going to come on the earth in our lifetime. And then pray. Pray and ask him where you can help hasten his return. Where does the gospel need to be heard in your sphere of influence? And then keep your eyes fixed above where our Lord, the one who was entrusted with all of the power to close out the end of this age, where he is sitting at the right hand of his Father. I hope this blessed you today. Until next time, take care. (music) 